You're listening to The Body, Time to Grow Up by Ian Ashby, part of our A City on a Hill series. For more audio content and resources, please visit newfrontierschurch.com. All right. So in this um, current series of messages, we're looking at uh, different biblical metaphors for the church. Um, We've seen how we're the household of God, we're the family of God, how we are the bride of Christ, um, and how we are the temple of God. All right? And each one of those metaphors uh, gives us some insight into our identity as God's people um, and about how we relate to God and one another and the world around us. And so this morning we're going to look at another metaphor, and that is one that the Apostle Paul uses quite often in the New Testament. And that is that we are the body of Christ, the body of Christ, all right? But before we do, I just want to share with you a very similar metaphor that you won't find in the Bible, uh, but it's one that uh, Sam Poe actually shared recently prophetically, um, and it's closely aligned to that of a body. And that is that the church is like an orchestra, an orchestra that's made up of very many different instruments, all playing different parts. But when they come together uh, in harmonious unity and they play in harmony with one another, it creates this beautiful symphony, uh, wonderful music that stirs people's hearts. And so I just want to show you a video um, because I want to give you a visual this morning that hopefully will remain with you long after uh, you've forgotten all my words, all right? Uh, Hopefully this will remain with you. So let's just watch that. I just love how as the music increases, as the orchestra grows, more and more people are gathering in and wanting to get in on it, you know? And they've got people there from different walks of life, different ethnicities. You've got young and old. You've got people joining in with the choir, children wanting to conduct. Everyone is getting engaged uh, as they're stirred by this music. And I just think that is a beautiful picture of what the church is meant to look like. Um, You know, the effect that we are supposed to have on society. Because we live in a society where... uh, so many people uh, feel lonely, disconnected, and excluded. Where, um, you know, so many relationships and families are fragmented. Where people are searching for uh, a kind of place to belong to. And the place they should be able to find that, above all else, is the church. Uh, because that's part of the good news of the gospel that because Jesus died for our sins on the cross, when we come to Him, we come together, right? That's where we meet, is at the cross, in joyful, harmonious unity, uh, because of what He has accomplished um, by giving Himself up for us. Uh, That's where we find our sense of belonging, that community. It's where we find our true identity and purpose. And if people can't find that in the church, then the church needs to grow up. At least that's what Paul seems to be saying in his letter to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4. 
So we're going to turn there now, and we're going to read from Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 8, and 11 to 16, and Victoria uh, will read this for us. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Thanks, Victoria. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, we do come to you this morning as uh, our head, the head of the church, the one from whom we have received life. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, really help us this morning, speak to us, Lord, strengthen us as your body here on earth. Uh, Lord, help us to become uh, more like you as we uh, draw near to you now. Um, Lord, we pray, O oh God, that you would uh, speak through us, Lord, through your body here to the people around us in our cities and communities. O oh God, that you are alive. Jesus, we exalt you here this morning. Be glorified through this message, we pray. And in through our lives, we ask. Amen. Amen. So um, here we find this metaphor uh, of the church being the body of Christ with Christ as our head. And really the first observation I want to make here is that he as our head is the one who gives life and purpose to the body, right? I mean, if you think about it, um, a body cannot exist without its head. Um, if you think about what the brain does, uh, how from the brain all these neurological uh, impulses that go through our bodies are, the, are what gives movement, it's what controls our muscles, enables us to move, it's what enables us to breathe, uh, it controls our heartbeats and even our swallowing, our senses. Right? Without the brain, our bodies would not function. There would be no life in them. And that is the same uh, with us as the body of Christ. What makes us Christians is that we have the life of God in us. All right? What makes you a Christian is not that you have a set of beliefs or that you're trying to live a moral life. It's because the life of God has come into you. Right? And made you a new creation. That's what the Bible says. Uh, so once, uh, in, it says in Ephesians 2, Paul says, once we were dead in our sins. 
We were dead. We were spiritually dead. We were literally walking dead men, right? But, Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Right? God's own spirit has come into us to make us spiritually and eternally alive. And so by faith, we have been joined to Christ, our head, and we share the life of his eternal spirit. But because we're joined to him, our head, it means we're also joined to one another uh, as his body. We are part of the same body. We share the same spirit. That's what Paul is saying. There is one Lord, one head, there is one body, and there is one spirit uh, that we all uh, share. And now, of course, there is one universal church, that is the, the church in totality, but there are also many, many local expressions of that one body. We are uh, one here, uh, New Frontiers Church. The church that Paul's writing to here in Ephesus is another expression of that one uh, body. And every Christian is called to belong to a particular church um, or body where we can put into practice what it means to belong which is for our own good, as well as for the good of those who don't yet know him. So, one thing we need to understand is the Bible knows nothing of solo Christianity, okay? Where it's just about my personal walk with God, just me and Jesus, and, you know, church is somehow incidental to that, and so it, you know, it doesn't, you know, I don't need to be committed to a, a particular body. I can just receive from wherever. No, right? That is not biblical Christianity. That is childish thinking, according to what Paul is saying here. Because in Christ, we've all been joined together. We share his spirit. We belong to one another. That's what Paul wrote to another church in Rome. He says this, Rome's 12 verse 4, for just as each of us has one body with many members, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others, right? It means we need each other. Maybe you want to tell the person next to you, you know, I need you. No, don't do that. Uh, that sounds creepy, right? Say, you need me, you need me right? Why? Because we belong to one another. We cannot grow apart from each other. A hand trying to live independently from its body belongs in a horror movie, all right? You ever seen that horror movie? <laughs> that was, a, dis that was a, uh, a severed hand that was going around killing people. Thank you. So we know, of course, that that can't happen because the hand that's severed from its body is just going to shrivel and die. All right? So when we come to church on Sundays, we are not coming as a bunch of disconnected body parts. All right? That would be gross. All right? Paul says, from Christ, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament. 
right? It means that we are interconnected, like our own bodies are, right? If, if one part of your body gets sick, it affects your whole body, doesn't it? Or when I uh, recently hit my thumb with a hammer, it wasn't just my thumb that hurt, right? My mouth got in on the action, and, and my feet did a funny dance, right? It affected my whole body, right? Because we are one unified body, and it's the same. It's the same for the body of Christ. We're one unified whole. That's why Paul says elsewhere, when one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. When you withdraw, your absence affects the whole body. When you participate, we're all blessed. When you complain about someone in the body, or you hold something against them, you're not just affecting them, but the whole body, including yourself and Christ, who is our head. So, we're one body, all right? It's not like we're just uh, trying to uh, be like a body, right? We're not, this is not Frankenstein we're talking about. We're not just, you know, a collection of body parts stapled together. We are a living body inhabited by God's own spirit, the very life of God, the life that sustains the whole universe in us. Amazing, isn't it? And that's why in Ephesians 4, Paul calls us to maintain the unity of the Spirit. It's one of the signs of a healthy, mature body. It's what causes the body to grow. And not just in maturity, but I would suggest numerically as well, as, 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 as more and more people uh, want to get in and, and are added to us and join in the song. But for that to happen, there are two things we need to do. Okay? Firstly, we need to grow up. Secondly, we need to play our part. At least that's what I see in this text. So let's look at those, okay? First of all, we need to grow up. Listen to what Paul says here. He says that we're to attain to mature manhood. The literal translation from the original Greek text is a full-grown man. It's generic, so it could be a full-grown person. So that we may no longer be children... We no longer remain as infants, but we are to grow up. There it is. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Now, I want you to notice that Paul says we there, that we will no longer be children. Paul is including himself here as a spiritual infant, someone who falls short of being like Christ. Now, if Paul, this giant of the Christian faith, is including himself, saying, I'm a spiritual infant. What does that make us? Right? What does that mean for us? Well, we all need to grow up. We all need to grow up. Interestingly, Paul does not say, grow up into mature men and women, plural. He doesn't say that. But a full-grown man, singular. All right? Which is not referring to gender, but our oneness. That's what it's speaking of. Part of our growing up is that we go from being a bunch of preschoolers all doing our own thing to being one unified body made up of diverse parts. One orchestra, all playing different instruments in harmony, all playing the same song to the glory of God. All right, so what does this mean for us then? 
Well, firstly, we mustn't be shocked at the immaturity of other believers. Right? When we come to faith, Jesus says we're born again. Just think about what that means. Right? You're not born as a full-grown adult. Right? When someone is born, they're born as a baby, as an infant. It's the same when we're born again. We're born as spiritual infants who need to grow, right? We need to take those baby steps, as uh, Sharon was sharing, all right? There's a process in us becoming like Christ, knowing Him and becoming like Him. There's a, a lifelong process of that. But what that means is there'll always be spiritual infants in the church. And actually, the more people we see come to faith, the more babies that we will see around, which means what? Dirty diapers, yes, all right? That's why a growing church can be a messy church. It's part of the course, all right? So don't be surprised. Um, don't be shocked. Don't judge people for the way that they act or the way that they speak. Rather, Paul says here in Ephesians 4, be humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's how we're to be, okay? But at the same time, we mustn't put up with this behavior in ourselves, okay? We can't use this as an excuse and say, oh, you know, I couldn't help it. I'm just a spiritual infant, you know. No, grow up, right? It's unhealthy to remain as an infant, all right? So we need to grow up. So let's just think then for a minute about what an infant is like. Many of you here, or some of you, have first-hand experience of this. All right, I'm getting a refresher course with four grandchildren and one on the way. Um, let's think about some characteristics of an infant. Why don't you compare yourself with this, all right? Let me give you three characteristics that I think we see implied in this passage. First of all, infants are self-centered, right? They express their wants and their needs without any consideration for anyone else. When they don't get what they want, they uh, You have to teach them to share their toys. You have to train them uh, to play nicely. And spiritual infants are the same. They're always thinking about themselves. That's why they get easily offended. Um, it's why they get upset over little things, like how they've been treated. It's not fair. Um, it's why they find it hard to take criticism or to admit wrong. Because, you see, it's all about me, me, me. And so part of growing up is us considering others. It's learning to share our toys and serving others. Whatever gifts that God has given us is for the benefit of others. That's why it's so important then that we are part of a body. Uh, it's how we grow up. That's how we change from being essentially self-centered to being Christ-centered, which means being other-centered, serving each other in love just as he served us. So that's the first thing. Infants are self-centered. Second thing is infants are not very discerning. When I was an infant, my mom tells me, that I got into the trash, I knocked over the trash can, and I was eating everything I could find in there. I guess I just wasn't very discerning, right? And that's what infants do. I mean, they'll put anything 
mouths, right? And it's the same with spiritual infants. Paul says here in verse 14 that they are susceptible to every wind of doctrine, to false teaching and deception. They're not very discerning. They'll feed on whatever seems attractive, you know, the latest thing that kind of comes through and whatever meets a felt need. And, uh, and they'll argue if you try and tell them otherwise. And often we'll only learn from painful experience. And sometimes not even then. But it's why we need to, each one of us, feed ourselves on the truth of God's Word. It's why we also need pastors and teachers, along with apostles and prophets and evangelists, to help us. And it's why we need to be part of a body, again, where there are those who love us enough to tell us the truth. That's what Paul says here in verse 15. He says, but it's by speaking the truth in love that we grow up in every way into him. Uh, the author and pastor Tim Keller, who Sue mentioned, um, describes that, speaking the truth in love, as honesty saturated with love and gentleness. I like that. Honesty saturated, saturated with love and gentleness. And you know what? We all need that. At least I know I need that. I need people who will be truthful with me. I think we all need that. Because you know what? We're not as discerning as we think we are. Infants are not discerning. Thirdly, infants are impulsive and impatient. Right? Infants have the attention span of a fly, don't they? They can't keep focused. All right? They, you know, they get attracted to whatever is moving and glitters and music, and, uh, but then they'll get bored and then they'll be distracted onto something else. They'll go to and fro. And that's what Paul says here about spiritual infants in verse 14. Someone who is tossed to and fro by the waves. They go back and forth. They're not anchored. They are not steadfast. Right? They're impulsive. They're impatient. They find it hard to follow through. Are you like that? Again, it's why we need to grow up. But it will only happen when we're part of a body that is growing up together into Christ. The truth is we will never get to know Christ fully apart from one another. Because that's how God has designed it. All right? So I just want to ask you, have you personally grown in these things in the past year? Right? Have you become less self-centered and more other-centered? Are you more discerning, more patient, more humble, more gentle, more steadfast in your faith? And would you have the courage to ask someone who knows you whether that's true or not? Maybe you're married, in which case ask your spouse. I expect they will be honest with you. Or ask someone else. If we're serious about growing up, we need that. We need help. We need uh, each other. All right? We don't grow in spiritual maturity by just working on ourselves. Right? It just doesn't happen in a vacuum. 
right? It's only through the church body. We need one another. And that's why in this passage, unity is linked with maturity. The more unified that we become in our relationships, in our love for one another, the more mature that we will become, the greater then will be our witness to this world. That's why Jesus said, wasn't it, in John 17, 21, he prayed that we might be one, even as he and the Father were one. Why? So that the world might believe. All right? So that's the first thing. We need to grow up. I need to grow up. We all do. The second thing is we need to play our part. Listen to this. Ephesians 4, 16 says, From him, from Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows, builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's how it's phrased. It's as each part does its work. Each one of us here has a part to play in building up the body and in helping others to grow. And I think the important thing that we understand here is that each of us has a unique contribution to make, right? Now, it's interesting to note that in each of the three major passages where Paul talks about the church being like a body, he also says that each member of the body has been given gifts. So we see that in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. In Romans 12, where he says that we form one body, and all the members belong to each other, he says, and diverse gifts have been given, right? Such as gifts of leadership and encouragement and serving and mercy. These are kind of, the, the kind of natural gifts of God that have been given to us for the good of the body. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, like uh, gifts of healing and prophecy and wisdom and so on. And he says there that in the body, uh, to each one, these manifestations of the Spirit have been given for the common good. All right? And then here in Ephesians 4, he says, grace was given to each one of us. That the ascended Lord has given gifts to people. And then he specifically mentions these equipping gifts, these people gifts of apostles, prophets, um, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, uh, who, uh, those who help the rest of the body to grow in their gifts and ministries. But what this tells us is that there are many, many diverse gifts. In fact, there are as many gifts uh, as there are members of the body because we are all unique, every one of us. No two people here are the same. And even when it's the same gift, it's going to be different in each one of us. All right? There are no duplicates in the body of Christ. Your left hand is not a duplicate of your right hand. Right? Right? You, we are all originals. You are an original. God broke the mold when he made you. All right? What that means is we're all, need, we're all needed every one of us. So let's just read what Paul says about that in 1 Corinthians 12, 14. He says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And so if the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Oh, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, well, that wouldn't make it any less a part of a body. That's wrong thinking, Paul's saying. If the whole body were an eye, 
Where would be the sense of hearing? The whole body were an ear, well, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? But as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And so the eye cannot say to the hand, I've no need of you. And nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. So we're to exercise care for every single member of the body. But maybe you're here today and you don't feel very needed. You don't feel very useful. You don't know where you fit. Maybe you, maybe you, you question, you know, what, 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 what good am I? You know, what can I do? Um, and maybe you compare yourself to others who are more visible, more prominent. So you think, oh, I couldn't be like that. Um, but what this is saying is, well, you weren't called to be that part of the body. You were called to be you. And you have a part to play. You have a valuable part to play. And actually, it's often the less visible parts that are not only needed, but are absolutely necessary for the body to function and grow. I mean, just for example, I know that there are people here who pray for me. All right? And it's unseen. And maybe they wish that they could do more or participate in, in ways that maybe others do. But the reality is that what you do is absolutely vital. It's vital. I just want to thank you, if that's you, who praying for me. Because I know one day I'm going to get to glory and I'm going to come to see how I was spared or how I was delivered from you know, that person or that particular situation because of your prayers. You know what? I think one day every one of us here will come to see that. How we were strengthened how we were helped, how the very life of God came into us because someone played their part in praying for you, right? It can seem such a small thing, such a vital thing, such a vital thing. There's a story about a famous conductor called Sir Michael Costa uh, who was conducting this rehearsal with this huge orchestra, this massive choir, and halfway through the session, the piccolo player stopped playing probably thought no one would notice, would possibly notice with this, all these instruments and voices. But then suddenly, Sir Michael stopped everything and said, stop, stop. What happened to the piccolo? And maybe you feel like that piccolo player. Maybe you feel you don't have a lot to offer. You may feel insignificant compared to others. Maybe you feel... You know, it really wouldn't notice if you weren't here. But you know what? We have a great conductor who notices. He notices. And if he has called you here, then he has a very necessary part for you to play in his masterpiece. Right? You are all needed. You are a gift of God's grace to this church. You are a valuable member of Christ's body here. All right? So can I just encourage us all to look for opportunities to serve the body and to love others in practical ways, right? You might not know specifically what your gifts are. 
But it's as we serve where there is a need that we begin to discover them. And that's, after all, what hands and feet and eyes and ears do, isn't it? They serve the body. So can I just encourage us, all of us here this morning, um, to grow up and to play our part. All right, you might be asking yourself, well, how do we really put this all into practice? And I'm glad you asked that question. Um, because that's why we have small groups. It's why we have community groups. Um, Sunday morning is just part of it. Okay? And there's an opportunity for everyone to serve on a Sunday morning in some way. There's opportunity for different people to contribute uh, to the meetings. And uh, I want to encourage everyone in that, okay? But we can't possibly really go deep. I mean, we can attend, but that's not really what Paul is talking about here in this belonging to one another. That implies relationship. You know, that implies being honest with one another. That just doesn't happen uh, on a Sunday morning. That is why we have small groups. It's one of the primary ways we can live this out is by participating in a group by being committed to, a, uh, to loving and serving a group of diverse people. That's what will help you to grow, help them to grow as well. It's an opportunity to exercise those gifts, and particularly those supernatural, those spiritual gifts, to be there as we pray for one another and so on. Okay? It's one of the ways that we can practice what it means to truly belong and to put into practice our unity, to maintain our unity and our oneness. Um, so I want to encourage you, if you're, not, if you're not participating in a community group right now, please uh, will you consider joining one. Uh, there are leaflets on the back that, that um, will give you details on our community groups that meet all over the seacoast. Maybe you can't attend in a midweek evening. But listen, I, I really want us to understand that this is not just about a meeting we attend, it's a community you belong to. Now somehow we've got to work that out in practice, I know, but it does take every one of us doing that. You can belong to a community. You can maybe hear through the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the network in that community, emails or social media or whatever, where there is a need. You can be praying for that person or you have a need that you share. They could be praying for you. Someone has a baby. You can help in providing a meal uh, for that family. Or maybe the community group is serving uh, the wider community in some way. You can participate in that or be part of some social event that's going on. There are different ways that we can participate. Um, uh, and, if, and if maybe there isn't one that, you, that was going to work for you, well, start your own. Start your own, all right? But let's get into community. Let's make this work. Let's be committed to one another uh, in that way. Amen? Amen? Let me just conclude then with where I started. The word for unity in the Bible also means harmony. I don't know if you knew that. It means harmony. And harmony, of course, is a musical term where different notes are played together to create this beautiful sound. And the notes aren't the same, and we are not the same. But they come together, and they create this beautiful harmony. And that is the sound that God is wanting to come from his church, from our church. Okay? And it's a very different sound to the discord of this world. And that is why our unity speaks loudly to people that Jesus is alive. How else can you explain such a diverse group of people as this? 
being unified in joyful, harmonious unity. But you know what? For that, we need God's grace, don't we? We need God's grace. We need the life that Christ gives to us from our head, continually supplying the body with life, with grace to better live this out.